0: Hello and welcome back to another episode. So today's magazine is Money and Life Financial Life Planning. So the first episode is five ways to improve practice efficiency. Stuart Bell considers the cause of business inefficiency and provides five ways in which efficiency can be improved. Stuart Bell. Recently, I ran a live training session for our program members called frictionless and wanted to share some key insights so you might be able to use them to free up certain inefficiencies in your own practice. When your subject matter is inefficiency in the advice process, there's no shortage of things to take aim at. You can talk about software, data gathering, badly structured websites, giving too much information up front and giving too little information up front. Of course, there's a host of other things that can easily stop prospects and clients for engaging, understanding, and ultimately sticking with advice for the long run. The problem is, if you're not careful, training like this can end up being a never-ending procession of helpful ideas and top, top tips, which, if used the right way, can be helpful. But when they're the wrong solution altogether, the result is usually detrimental. So, in putting this article together, I took things right back to the basics. I wanted to dive in academia, management theory and what MBA thinkers and other experts in this systemation have to say about the cause of inefficiency and how to solve them. Real insight only comes from when you go deeper into the tools, frameworks, and the ways of thinking about the problem. This approach will quickly tell you whether what you're doing is the solution that will provide you with the right outcome, or as often as, sorry, or as can often be the case, is exactly the wrong solution that will only make things complicated. I believe there are five key principles worth knowing. Principle 1, Gall's Law. John Gall was an American author and retired ped- pedi- oh, pediatrician. Sorry. <laughs> um, he is known for his 1975 book, General Systematics, an essay on how systems work and especially how they fail. A critique of systems theory. One of the statements from this book has become known as Gell's Law. John Gell first observed that a common form of inefficiency is caused by creating a process that is too complex from the start. Anyone who has built spreadsheets will know what I'm talking about. You start out with an idea of how something should work, but you eventually end up creating something that breaks you breaks when you roll it out and try it for the first time. Gell observed that. Every successful system has to start life as simple as, sorry, as simple one and evolve. This concept isn't new. It's well understood in tech startups, medical research, and a host of other fields. In other words, inside your inefficient complex process is probably a simple one trying to get out. Principle 2 Optimization. There are three ways you can improve a process, but only two are tied to return on investment, Roy. The first improvement is about maximising output or increasing what you get out of the process. The second is minimising what's required to produce it, thereby reducing what you need to put in. The key rule here is if you're ever going to try and fix the process, never try to do both at the same time. For example, you can't try and make your process work for more clients and have less hands involved in the process at the same time. The multiple variables at work will make it hard or likely impossible to work out which, which of your efforts is working. Choose one thing you're trying to improve, either getting more out of the process or less work to the outcome and attack it one, one at a time. Principle three, refactoring. I have already mentioned two ways you can change a process. Refactoring is the third and a concept that most software programmers will know about. When quarters talk about elegant code, often they're talking about the work done to minimise the number of lines of code behind the scenes, therefore making it run more efficiently. The key thing here is often the visible output doesn't change. On the surface, it still does the same thing it did beforehand because the point isn't to change the output. The point is to make it run more smoothly. So the key to remember here is that your goal is to produce more or get it done faster than refactoring may not be the way to go. It's worth knowing this before you start the work. Principle four, automation. Automation is something we all love the idea of, but it pays to make sure you're choosing the right technology for the business. Automation works really well for simple, repetitive, and well-defined tasks. Trying to automate something that is complex requires significant expertise because it's hard to do. It's a major reason why, despite the focus of artificial intelligence, AI, automating advice documentation is still some way off. However, there's a golden rule to understand, so skip it at your peril. The more automation you put into a system, the more technology driven it becomes, meaning the more important human oversight becomes. Any fully automated system allows to run rampant with even the smallest flaw, can result in a host of rework which often substantially more, more to fix than efficiently becomes provided. This is a high relevant if you're thinking of implementing complex software in your practice. So it's vitally important to have someone who knows how the software works and is keeping an eye to make sure it does what it's supposed to do. The last principle, so number five, is cessation. The final concept of Peter, Drunkers of American, management consultant, educator and author, whose writings con- contributed to the physical, physo- physilo- oh my goodness, Phys- <laughs> philosophical, oh my goodness, um, and practical Foundations of the Modern Business Corporation is probably my favourite. It's the idea that sometimes the best solution to inefficiency is not to do anything. I'm a bit of a tweaker by nature, but I've learned to not to. Because often by jumping in and trying to fix something, you're not allowing things to run their natural course. Taking, for example, the client who leaves an urgent message wanting to know where their portfolio is at but the message gets missed. Two days later, it gets picked up. You go back to the client only to find out they worked out how to log onto the platform and solve the problem themselves. Essentially, the self-service system you designed was the optimum solution all along. It was the inaction yours that truly enabled the user, the client, to self-correct the inefficiency. This is true for deciding not to work with certain types of clients, not to do certain kinds of advice and a whole host of other things and points to the fact that sometimes doing nothing is the best option at all. Summary, my purpose in running the frictionless session and creating the tools and module that is support was the To give the practice i work with the tools to diagnose their own inefficiencies usually there can be hundreds of ways to change a process many options for maximizing the output countless tools promising to create efficiency and a myriad of ideas to of how to organize things however having the ability to step back up and understand how to think about it can be a better way of having a portfolio of options because when you start on the wrong path friction is sure to follow awesome so that was that article so the second article out of this magazine is building a growth mindset as a leader andrew may explains how practitioners can develop a growth mindset which will not only help you get through the crisis and challenges but also assist you to learn, improve and grow from the experience. When a massive change comes along in our working or in our personal lives, it comes with its own set of challenges and potential opportunities. As a business owner in the days and months ahead, you're going to face with, be faced with a choice. Do you stand still and hope for the best? Or do you pursue active growth to take on this challenge as a chance to better yourself and craft as a financial planner? A question regularly asked in the business world is whether IQ, intelligence or the right attitude is most important. Similarly, talent scouts in sports globally debate whether innate talent or attitude affects outcomes more. So which is more important for success in a business, sport, and life? Is it your intellect or skills, or is it the right attitude? I'd wager that flexibility, adaptability, and willingness to learn, change, and grow will often take you further in time of crisis than technical know-how can. Now, more than ever, a mindset geared towards growth and positivity is vital for business owners who want to succeed. Growth versus fixed. Where's your head at? Sorry, head at. Stanford University psychologist Carol Dweck and her team discovered that people's core attitudes lead them to one of two mindsets, either a grow mindset or a fixed mindset. People who have a fixed mindset believe that they are born with their abilities, intelligence and talents and cannot change them. In contrast, people with a growth mindset believe that most things can be improved with additional training and effort. They typically outperform those who have a fixed mindset, even if they have a lower IQ, because they embrace each challenge and treat it as an opportunity to learn something new. Success in life, it turns out, is closely linked to how you deal with challenges and setbacks. And developing a growth mindset is the best way to turn setbacks to your advantage and use it to improve. And the good news, you are not born with a growth mindset. It can be trained. Developing a growth mindset. Developing a growth mindset is not as hard as you might think. The following are five easy, easy ways to perform a transformation. So you can embrace challenges. A challenge is an opportunity in different clothes. A growth mindset sees challenges as a chance to grow, learn, adapt and improve, not as a problem to ignore and fret over. Persist against setbacks. Setbacks, in, sorry, setbacks happen in life. How you react to them says a lot about you and has the impact on your success. Sorry, your success. Instead of throwing in the towel when the going gets tough, get flexible, get creative, and get going. See effort as a positive. The more effort you put into something, the closer you get to becoming a master of it. Rome wasn't built in a day, and neither are you. Start looking at effort to learn and grow as a good thing. It means that you are one day closer to your goals learn from feedback. Critical feedback is crucial for becoming a better at anything. Work on receiving feedback with an open mind and willingness to improve. Remind yourself that feedback isn't something to defend against, it's something to learn from. Learn from others' success. Bitterness and jealousy over other success is nothing but a waste of your own time and energy. Instead, try to learn from it and be ex- sorry, be inspired by the success of those around you and use it to push yourself to greater heights. Focus on what you can change. Don't get me wrong, there's, there's more weathering a crisis like COVID-19 than just adapting, adopting a positive outlook. I'm very aware that so many businesses in Australia have struggled over the last 12 months due to no fault of their own. I think one of the biggest strategies to embrace the construct of trying to nurture a growth mindset is focusing more time, more energy and more attention on what you can influence or change and trying to let go of what you can't. By approaching crisis and challenges like a global pandemic with a growth mindset instead of a fixed and static outlook, you're putting yourself in the best position to not only get through the crisis in a good shape but potentially to learn, improve and grow from the experience. Awesome. So that was everything for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed that read and got something out of it. And, yeah, I hope you have a great day. Bye.